Today on this edition of the Forest City Church Podcast, guest teacher Chad Brugman begins the new teaching series, Chef's Table. Today's message is titled, A Masterclass in Hospitality. I'm coming up here and I'm extremely happy for a multitude of reasons. One, two of my favorite things literally in life are about to collide in this new series, The Chef's Table. Uh, Jesus being number one and a very close second, food. We have any foodies in the room? Yeah, you, yeah, I am one to almost sinful gluttonous proportions, and I'm going to talk to God about it after this service. I want to read that quote that Corbin read at the end from uh, the late and great Anthony Bourdain. He said this. He said, in America, the professional kitchen is the last refuge of the misfit. It's the place where people with bad pasts find new family. And I love that quote. And I I don't know anything in the restaurant industry or the chef's world, but I know this. I wish that quote could be replaced with the word, the church. So let me read that again and let me replace it with the church because this is the heart of Jesus Christ. In America, the church is the last refuge of the misfit. It's the place for people with bad pasts. I don't know about you, but I qualify for that. That's a big part of my story. With bad pasts to find a new family. So we're in this new series called The Chef's Table with a subtitle that I really love. It's called Longer Tables, Lower Walls. Longer Tables, Lower Walls. And so we're going to talk about some longer tables today and what that looks like, but we're not going to do that first without talking about food. Okay. I just have to, would you just do this real fast? Would you, especially if you're a foodie, would you just look at one of your neighbors and would you just tell them real quick, if you got one thing on a desert Island and you could have one food while you were there, what would you choose? Tell them real quick. Come on. It's a tough question. I know. Think it out. All right, you're done. I, I can't answer that. There's just, as a foodie, there's two. You're like, come on, you told us to do it. I just wrote a list uh, of just like my top five or six foods up here. At, at number one, I put just good old-fashioned Mexican food, man. I, that might be it. Just good old-fashioned. Second, I put ice cream. Jesus, help me. I love refried beans with Mexican food, and I love ice cream sometimes in the same night. So that's why my wife is not traveling with me. <laughs> Pray for her. I don't know how we've survived 18 years of marriage. Uh, Just a good old medium, rare, Chicago-style steak. Come on, somebody. You know what I'm talking about. Uh, Some of you will know this. Brenner. Any of you fans of Brenner? Breakfast for dinner? Does not get... Breakfast is amazing, and then you have it to end your evening. It's a made Brenner. And then, my goodness, I brought one up here just to make you guys mad. How good of a mood was God in when he created Edward's Apple Orchard? How good of a mood, right? Like he had just had coffee for sure. He's like, I want a donut to go with that. (laughs) Yes, exactly what I was hoping for. So we're going to talk about envy the rest of the service, right? Oh my goodness. I haven't had one of those in so long. Jesus, I am happy right now. Kid in a candy shop. This right here might be my downfall though, guys. I'm serious. This of all the vices I have when it comes to food is probably... The donut, and then here, here we go. I'll end with this. Uh, I, I just am grateful that uh, this got cleared in the New Testament because I don't know if we were still under Old Testament rules. But uh, how many of you are fans of bacon? <laughs> Nothing like eating the back of a pig's butt. It's just, it's about as good as it gets. And then there's this uh, place in Denver where I lived for 18 years called Voodoo Donuts, 
And several years ago, they came out with a maple bar, which is my favorite donut, maple long john with bacon on it. And I was just like, are you kidding me? I was like, this is, this is it. I pictured Jesus up there going, did they just put bacon on a maple donut? God, I'm going to get them right now. And he's like, son, hold, it's not time. No, that was my idea for the second coming. That was my idea for the marriage supper of the lamb, right? You foodies are gonna appreciate this. Think about the power of food. Literally, the book of Revelation tells us the first thing we're gonna do at the second coming of Jesus when the consummation of all this finally comes and there's no more death and there's no more mourning and there's no more crying and pain. The first thing we're gonna do, listen, this is so beautiful. Every tribe, every nation, every person in the presence of God where there is nothing but perpetual shalom and peace, the first thing the Bible tells us that we're gonna do together is we're gonna eat together at table Food, calories don't count in heaven. Can I get an amen? Another famous chef said this, and I love this. He said, nothing brings people together like good food, right? Food's the great middleman, bringing humans together. It's one of the few universal love languages that we have left is eating food together. It's one of the most, and here's what we're really gonna talk about today, this biblical word, hospitality, And coming together around the table with with other people, people you know so well, family members, friends, and as we're gonna see today, even enemies, there's something so powerful and unifying and hospitable about food together. And I love it. And I ask myself, why? And it's because there's something about sitting around a table having a meal together. It's intimate, but it's disarming, right? And I think we live in an age where we need things to be a little more intimate and a little bit more disarming. It unifies like very few other things. Think about when uh, the president of the United States has some of uh, not just our allies, but even uh, throughout the year, a couple times every now and then they'll have um, some uh, countries and some, some, some uh, foreign presidents or, or whatever they are, they will come, dignitaries, they will come and they will, they, they will have a meal together, right? There is a lot of money and time spent at the White House on what's called the state's dinners. And sometimes it's allies and friends, and sometimes it's foreign and domestic enemies that are eating in the White House. Why? There's something so unifying and disarming about food. The chef uh, that I read this quote said, the people who give you their food give you their heart. So I want, I want to do this. Every, every year in January, I bet a bunch of you do this as well, I come up with some new ideas for my spiritual disciplines. I come up with some new ways that I, I want to uh, seek after God, for lack of a better way of saying it. And, and I just kind of want to mix it up. It's kind of like when you're in the gym, if you do the same exercises too long, eventually your body gets used to it and it quits having the results it used to have, right? So this year, I just mixed up a few things with some of my scripture reading. And one of the things I said I was going to do this year, and I'm so grateful as the year is almost about to close that I've done this, I said, I'm just going to read all four gospels over and over and over this whole year. And the reason I did that is because I wanted to see some new dimensions in Jesus's word. I wanted to see some reoccurring themes that maybe I've missed before, some reoccurring themes that I had forgotten about in the past. And I wanted to just, I wanted Jesus this year. This is a, a term I don't use for him often for all the terms I use for him. I wanted him to be my rabbi again. I wanted him to be my, my teacher and so I was like, I'm just gonna read you. I'm gonna, I'm gonna breathe you. I'm gonna use God, my holy imagination to try and immerse myself into first century Judea where you were with your disciples because I wanna be one of your disciples. And if there's one of the reoccurring themes that I found that was so incredible, it's this. Some of Jesus's most profound works and moments was around a meal. 
And so we're just gonna look at those in the next few weeks as we talk about the chef's table. For whatever reason, Jesus just chose food as the great middleman to disarm and to bring intimacy back to a, to a divided and to a hurt world. And so we are gonna do this. If you have your Bibles, go with me to John chapter 13. We're gonna read verses one through 17. If I can get through it, Jesus help me. And we are, listen to me, we are about to get a master class in hospitality. And I'm not just talking about hospitality the way we think it is. We think it's just, you know, shoving everything in your closets before your friends get over to act like you always have a clean house, putting some of your best food out there on the table and having, listen, that's a, that's a part of hospitality, but that is just a small piece of the pie compared to what uh, the actual act of hospitality is through biblical lenses. Do you guys realize that the, the, the hospitality is a gift of the spirit? Right, We think of all these like prophesying and we think of all these great words of knowledge and words of all these things that can get you some spiritual street cred, right? It's like, God, give me those gifts. But one of the most profoundly significant gifts that the Holy Spirit infuses us, his believers with, is the gift of hospitality. And like I said, we're going to the rabbi right now and we are about, I love this. I've been reading this story all week and it just got me so happy. We are about to get a master class from the master himself in what hospitality looks like. You guys ready to read? Let's read John chapter 13. It was just before the Passover festival. Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and to go to the father. Having loved his own who were in the world. I love this. He loved them to the end. That's you right now. Loves you to the end. The evening meal was in progress and the devil had already prompted Judas. The son of Simon Iscariot to betray Jesus. Now, this is the part you gotta, this is where I say, if, if, you, if you catch nothing else in this message, please catch what we read next. This is key to, to hospitality. This is key to having the same spirit of Jesus when it comes to being a person of hospitality. Jesus knew, everybody say knew. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that Jesus knew that he had what? Come from God and Jesus knew that he was returning to God. Now let's stop there for a minute because what Jesus is about to do in these next few minutes is the single greatest act of hospitality in the history of the world. I would argue that nothing even comes close to comparing with what we're gonna read next. And before we read what's next and we look at the historical and spiritual implications of that, I just want us to just for a minute uh, remind ourselves that what we're about to see Jesus do where he just literally upends and rewrites all the laws of human engagement in one meal it all happens, and the ability for him to do that is because he knew the authority the Father had given him. He knew who he was. We talk that language all the time. Do you know who you are in Christ? You need to know your identity in Christ. And can I just give you some good news? You have been given authority in Jesus Christ. It's not because you've earned it. It's not because you've deserved it. It's not because you've merited it. It's not because you're talented enough or good enough or rich enough or beautiful enough. It's simply because we were created before the fall to walk in the stewardship of this planet. And Jesus came to reinstill by forgiving our sins so they don't have to get in the way of who we were supposed to be to reinstill in us an authority that comes from God for you and the ultimate goal of all authority that is ever God-given is onefold, it is love. Any authority that's used outside of the, the motive of love, just know this, it's not God. 
But when you walk in your true God-given authority, you are gonna live so differently than the rest of this world. You will not play by this world's rules. You will not look like this world when it comes to your behavior. There is going to be a heart and a posture of grace and of mercy that is gonna be what separates us. I think Peter called it us aliens and strangers in this world. That's what starts to happen when you know your authority. But not just your authority, it said Jesus knew where he came from. He knew his story. He knew his origin story. And can I remind you of yours? Because we, we, we all have family trees here as far as our bloodline's concerned. And in that family tree, there is a lot of scandal and there is a lot of drama and there is a lot of brokenness. There's a lot of beauty. There's a lot of success in your family bloodline. There's a lot of failure in your bloodline. We all have bloodlines that give us particular propensities towards sins that hurt us and destroy us. We're all as adults to some degree, right? We're working through some of our bloodline issues and, and that's okay. But your original and your first and your foremost bloodline is not that family tree that you read about on Ancestry.com, thank goodness. Your first and original bloodline, where you came from, is before anything bad ever happened, before any apple was ever eaten in the Garden of Eden, God repeatedly and incessantly called you good. You understand that? And Jesus comes to forgive us, to make a way to forgive the bad so we can get back to what's not called original sin, but what's called original goodness. Not Genesis 3, which we love to preach about, Genesis 1. You understand what I'm saying? It was good, and God's intention has always been in the midst of our rebellion, I wanna restore good back to them. So what's my hope? Jesus, right? the ultimate act of hospitality. He knew where he came from, and then I love this, he knew where he was going back to. This is called, let me give you the old school term. If you grew up in church, you would have heard this a lot more. We don't use this language anymore, and I hate it. It's called the blessed hope. It's what we anchor in. It's the fact that, yes, this world is crazy and difficult and trying. And yes, we are going to go through sometimes hell and high water on this side of the grave. But our hope is in the fact that we are going to a marriage supper of the Lamb where there'll be no more death and there'll be no more mourning and there'll be no more crying and there'll be no more pain and there'll be no more Packers fans and there'll be no more cats and there'll be more. And I could just go down the list. And sorry if you're, hey, Bears, Bears fans, let's take a break for a minute. Bears fans, you guys all right? I, I, I grew up in the Bay Area and I'm a Niners fan. And it's a tough season for us too. So I'm right there with you. I'm not mocking you today. Hey, they don't play till tomorrow night. So just enjoy your Sabbath for once, would you? <laughs> don't let those guys get in the way of your day. Preaching to myself right now. My team plays today. Jesus be with me. Let's move on. So when Jesus, our rabbi, because he is the perfect example of knowing your authority, true authority, with the motive of love, knowing where you came from, and knowing where you're going, he does something that is revolutionary, okay? It says, so he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel, a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin, and he began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. Now, you gotta understand, this doesn't sound like too big of a deal to us, right? But this was otherworldly in first century Judea for a rabbi and for what Jesus would have at this point been considered a dignitary to do something like this. This was unheard of in the ancient world. Jesus was literally rewriting the rules of human engagement. What Jesus does when he takes off his, as a rabbi, his outer garment, and he picks up a towel, and he starts to wash the disciples' feet, there's a, there, let me put it this way, there is a preeminent 
theologian still living by the name of D.A. Carson. And I was reading some of his commentary years ago on this particular passage. And he said that there was a, a season where he, he took to the task to, to look at all of the dignitaries in the ancient world to see other examples of a dignitary hosting a house party, a dinner, being, being hospital, and, and taking off their outer and their royal garment to do this. Because you know what this was, what Jesus is doing? Slave work. That's what Jesus gets up and does. The creator of humans. The creator of meals. Right? And not only meals, this is the upper room we're reading about. This is his last meal. This is his last meal that he would eat before he would go to his death. You understand this? This is a profoundly significant night. And let me even say this to set the table to understand the implications of this. Don't you think if there was one night Jesus could be selfish at dinner, it was the night he was going to be betrayed and eventually crucified? If there was one dinner he could make it about himself, don't you think that would be the dinner? I sure do. But he's our rabbi and he's teaching us what real life, what real hospitality, spirit-driven hospitality looks like, not only for you, but for us as a church together. D.A. Carson said, I studied and studied and studied for hours looking for examples of other dignitaries in the ancient world who have done something like this before. And here's what he said. And listen to me, this is a preeminent scholar. He said, I found zero. Zero examples of this ever happening in the ancient world. In fact, I would go on to read that oftentimes in the, in the first century Judea, the, the relationship between a Jewish master and a Jewish slave were oftentimes very good. Like they had become family and they had lived together and worked together for years. And so at the end of a slave's contract, oftentimes those slaves would take an oath of covenant to stay with them for the rest of their lives because they actually had a really good relationship. And so oftentimes, I remember reading this and it just amplified what we're reading right now. Uh, they, they, they would say this. They would say that oftentimes a dignitary or a person of means who was having a dinner party for the community wouldn't let their slaves wash the people's feet when they got there, which was customary. They would actually hire out, ready for this, those crazy Gentiles to do it. Like that's, that's, that's how low of a position it was to be the foot washer at a meal. And now we have the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, the name above every name, that at that name every knee someday will bow. Every human tongue will confess that he truly is Lord to the glory of our Father, right? It says, now we've got that guy taking off his priestly rabbinical garb, putting it aside, getting dirty on his hands and knees so that they can be clean. Let me say that again, because this is the gospel. Getting dirty so that they could be clean in all of their dirtiness this is what's happening in this moment. Think about it. Let me, can, can we just use, this is what I've been trying to do all year. Can we just use our holy imagination for a few minutes and try and superimpose ourselves into this story? Imagine, let's just say, and I'm just gonna, we, we don't get told here, so I'm just gonna have some fun for a minute, but let's just say the first, the first foot that he starts to wash is Thomas's. You guys have probably been in church very long. You know about Thomas, right? What's he known as? The doubter, right? What a, what a great title to have. Thomas the doubter. It is almost like he seemed unapologetic about his doubts. He was very, uh, sometimes you read and it seems very entitled, right? After Jesus, we, we get this one moment where after Jesus had been crucified, he still demands, he's literally there in the room in a resurrected body. There have been hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of witnesses speaking to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And Thomas literally says, until I see the nail scars in your hands and in your feet, I'm not going to believe. <laughs> Thank God I'm not Jesus. If he did, I would be like, you little brat. <laughs> like done. You're done. It's over, right? 
But, but I love Jesus' response because he just goes, here you go. Come here, Thomas. Here you go. It's like the spirit of hospitality. Hospitality is so much more than just a meal, right? And here's Thomas in the night Jesus is gonna be betrayed. And I, if I'm about to be betrayed and I know I'm about to go to my death, I don't got time for doubters at that point. I want people on my team. I want people that believe in me. I want people to be there for me in my most darkest hour. And here's Thomas, this doubter. And, 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 and Jesus gets on his hands and knees. And Thomas knows, like, I, I don't even know if I'm still in yet. You sure you wanna wash my feet? Plus, we've never seen any rabbi do this in the history of the world. And Jesus is like, Thomas, I want every single one of your doubts. I know you guys think this dinner's for me, Jesus, I could hear him say, but no, 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 no. This dinner's for you to remember me eventually. My broken body and my, my shed blood. This meal isn't for me, it's for you. So Thomas, bring all your doubts to the table. You understand that? Remember when we read this, is, this should be a place for misfits, for the people with bad pasts to get new starts. This is Jesus going, Thomas, no, no, no. I have to wash your feet. You don't understand. This is something that I have to do because when I go to the cross for you, I'm going there for your doubts too. And, and come on, can we have an honest moment in church? There is a mystery behind this gospel and behind this unseen God that we serve. And it is okay in church to admit that part of the beauty of God is his mystery. It is not something to be unafraid of. God's mystery, all the, all the questions we can't answer, his timetables, his sovereignty, all these things that are above our pay grade, his, his ways and thoughts being higher than our thoughts, we don't have to answer for that when we make our peace with the fact that mystery is a part of who God is. The apostle Paul said the mystery of godliness is great. And he knew more than all of us. He's the greatest theologian to ever walk the face of the earth. And he says, the mystery of godliness is great. Listen, bring your doubts to Jesus. If we're gonna be the church that Jesus blesses and that Jesus is proud of and that Jesus wants people to dine at, we have to make space for people that are doubters. We don't have to be afraid of it. People who are doubting, and some of you walk in here, that's your story. Listen to me, let me, let me give you some good news. You're not a problem to be solved. You're not some project that we're gonna try and work on so we can just have you filled with endless certainty about all things life. That's not real life. There's going to be some unanswered, unknown, mysterious questions on this side of earth. And when you're in those doubts and when you're in that skepticism, when you're, when you're walking through some uncertainty, it's Jesus, the foot washer, that keeps you stable in those times. Not Jesus, the question answer. It's the Jesus who at your lowest still washed your feet, who still made room for you. It's like Thomas, like, okay, Jesus, let's use some more imagination here. Jesus was a carpenter by trade. I got to imagine he was amazing at it. Wouldn't you think the creator of wood knew his way around a little bit? I have to believe, even though this wasn't part of uh, uh, the culture 2,000 years ago, that if he was a table builder in, in, in 2021, this would be his favorite moment when he's building. You guys know what I'm holding here? It's a leaf. We're in a series called Longer Tables, Lower Walls, and this is exactly what Jesus is doing in the upper room. He's showing us that his guest list demands a huge table. He's showing us that he wants everyone to dine with him, and at the height of our rebellion, at the height of our sin, at the height of our brokenness, he says, come and not only will you dine with me, but I will wash your feet to make this dining experience as beautiful as possible. Jesus is the God of the leaf. I gotta believe this is his favorite part of the modern table right here because it just keeps making space for more people. 
It's the essence of hospitality. Every time my wife and I have to get the leaf out in our table, here's what we know. There's a lot of work ahead, but you know what else? There's a lot of joy that's about to happen. And this is what the church is. Got a lot of work to do. But behind all of that hard work, do you know what the end result is? There's joy. When we're a church that makes space for the doubters like Thomas, Think about Matthew. We, I talked about him the first time I spoke here several months ago. I don't know if any of you were here or remember any of that, but we talked about the scandalous nature behind Matthew the tax collector because he was extorting money from his own people. You think Matthew may have wanted to sit this meal out maybe? I can't imagine what Matthew's thinking. All that money he still probably owes people in back taxes. All that money he still owes people and friends that he defrauded. And now the creator of money, the creator of coin, the creator of all things Jesus is washing his feet. Still close enough in his past to remember all the things that he had just been forgiven from in his life that had been changed by Jesus. And Jesus not only forgives him, but he's washing his feet on the most important night of Jesus's life. This is who we are to be as a church. Jesus makes rooms for the frauds. He makes rooms for the thieves. And it's easy to talk about in a church service, but guess what? Forest City, when those people start walking through your doors and they will, by God's grace... I know because I was one of those walking through one of these doors a long time ago when I gave my life to Jesus Christ by his grace. It's, it's, it's romanticized and easy to talk about when we're reading the text and we've just had some amazing worship. But listen, at some point, you gotta ask yourself, what am I gonna do when the VIP list in this church starts getting bigger and a lot of people in that room I don't think deserve to be in that room because I know where they've been and I know what they've done. And at that point, it's the spirit of hospitality from the Holy Spirit in the name of Jesus Christ where we rise up and say, not only come here, but I am going to set the table for you. I'm going to serve for you. I'm going to be the one that gets here early to put a leaf out for you. This is who we are called to be. And listen to me. It can be intimidating at the beginning when you live life like this. It can be crazy because our minds were so fashioned by this world. But this is when our minds get fashioned by the kingdom of God. We are going to be people of the leaf. And when you become a person of the leaf, this is when life starts getting fun. This is when relations start, get, start getting crazy. This is when you start having stories to tell each other about God things that have been done, miracles in people's lives, salvations that you could have never thought of, people walking through these doors in this community that you've known or not known for a long time and you are just blown away. Think about the Apostle Peter. He's 24 hours away from the worst sin he would commit on this side of eternity, right? His three denials. I don't know who Jesus is getting crucified. He's like, yeah, I don't know. He's in jail. He's in prison. He's going before the courts. Yeah, I don't have a clue who he is. He just spent three and a half years with him. Jesus gave him the keys to the kingdom. Jesus changed his name from, from uh, Simon to, to Peter. Peter means the rock, right? Coolest wrestling name ever. Like Jesus like changed not only his life, but his name. And then in his most profoundly important moment on this planet, Peter's the denier, and now he's thinking that Jesus is dead, and now I've got to go. I'm no longer the rock. I'm the denier. Jesus, we're about to read it here in a second. Jesus foretells of his denials. Well, he's washing his feet. Is there a sermon there somewhere? Well, he's washing his feet. Oh, Peter, your worst sins to still 24 hours away. You, don't, you think I'm washing the past? <laughs> you have no idea. You have no idea. Your, your worst sin is still 24 hours away. Let me clean your feet. I want you to enjoy this meal because this is the last one we've got. This is what I got for you. 
James and John, you won't read it in, in, in the John's version of it, but if you go to the Gnostic Gospels, or excuse me, not the Gnostic Gospels, if you go to the other Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and you read about the upper room, the Last Supper, you'll read where James and John, literally while Jesus is washing feet, you know what they're doing? They're fighting about who's the greatest. <laughs> literally, jockeying for position, bucking for a promotion. Their mom would later come up to Jesus and say, could we, could, could my, there was something in that bloodline. We're seeing it, right? The cray cray. But they're like, can, 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 can my boys sit at your right hand and your left hand in heaven on thrones? That's a mom who loves their boys, right? But it's like, let the coach do his thing, mom. Stay out of the game, all right? Like, you don't know what you're, you don't know what you're talking about, mom. I know you love your boys and want the best for them, but, but stay in your lane, girl. Come on, this isn't you. This isn't you, right? They're literally arguing Jesus' last night, his most important meal, they're arguing about who the most important person in the room is, who's the greatest. And Jesus is gonna sum all this up with, you know who the greatest is? The foot washer, the leaf carrier, the table maker, the one who breaks down walls, not builds them up. The one who doesn't worry so much about God's guest list and stays in our lane and worries about setting the table. Can I just remind us of that? The guest list isn't ours, Forest City. Can I free you up? You don't have to think about that. You don't have to worry about that. You don't have to referee that. You don't have to spend one more ounce of God-forsaken energy on God's guest list. His guest list is whatever he wants it to be with whoever he wants it to be, however he wants it to be. Our job is to simply say, I'll set the table because whoever you're inviting, I can't wait to meet because if they were invited by you, then they're my people, even if they don't look like my people. I have to set this down. They got me the single heaviest leaf in the history of leaves. I need to hold on. Give me a second. I got a carbo load. That is great. I need to land this plane. I can't land it without this though. Judas. You ever heard of him? Right? Judas. Jesus also in this text where predicts his betrayal. I don't know that there's a worse sin on planet earth than what Judas did. I don't know. Jesus knowing he would be the catalyst to put him on the cross, that he would betray him for 30 pieces of silver for some money. He would sell him out. He's on his hands and knees with his rabbi's robe off and he's in service mode and he's showing hospitality to the betrayer. What's that tell us for a city about what kind of church we're supposed to be? It's not clean, it's not pretty, it's not easy. It's not convenient. It will push you, it will challenge you. It will get you out of your comfort zones. Comfort's overrated anyway, it's another sermon for another day. Don't buy into the comfort lie. He washes Judas' feet. Goes on to say this, and I'll read fast because we gotta wrap up. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you gonna wash my feet? Which I would have said the same thing. Like, understand, first time in ancient history this ever happened. And it's their Lord. And Jesus replied, you do not realize now what I'm doing, but later you will understand. This is the definition of grace. You do not understand on the front end, grace. This is why churches so easily, like I talked about several months ago when I was here, we get into our holy huddles without even meaning to. We become a, a country club of saints instead of a hospital for sinners, right? Instead of being a triage like we talked about. We, we, we just come and it's a, it's a holy huddle and we don't mean to. 
but it's just we want comfortable. We want people that look like us and act like us and think like us and vote like us. And, and Jesus is going, no, we're feet washers. We're hospitable to even our betrayers. We love those who hate us. We pray for our enemies and those who persecute us. This is who we are. This is what separates us from the rest of the world. He says, you do not realize now what I'm doing, but later you will understand. No, I love this. No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered, and here's the gospel, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. You know what Jesus is saying here? Grace is the only hope of the world. There's no, there's no other plan. It's plan A through Z. This is what we like. It's the mercy of God. It's the kindness of God that would lead Peter to repentance. It's the feet washing in Peter, Peter's life when he's 24 hour, hours away from the worst sin of his life. That is the kindness that would ultimately bring him back to lead the church when he wanted to go fishing and go home and quit and give up. It's the kindness of God that leads to repentance. Another story for another time, but if you go on to read Judas's story, he came back and it said he changed his mind about what he had done. That, that's literally what the word repentance means, changes your mind. It changed, I read it this week, changed his mind, gave the money back. He threw it in the temple and said, that's blood money, I don't want it, I'm sorry. Why? I, I gotta think it was the kindness of Jesus. I think, I think when, when we wash feet for people who least deserve it but most need it, there's an accountability that instantly takes place. You understand that? If we will put ourselves into that lane, we are gonna wash the feet of people who least deserve it in this community but most need it because this is the essence of what our rabbi is teaching us to do. Least deserve it, Judas. Most need it, Judas. So Jesus washes his feet. So he says, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Then Lord, Simon Peter replied, not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. And Jesus answered, those who have had a bath need only to wash their feet. Their whole body is clean and you are clean, although not every one of you, for he knew who was gonna betray him. And that was why he said not everyone was clean. And when he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes. All right, so he starts to get his clothes back on. And he returned to his place. Now here's the teaching moment for us. Not, not my opinion. This is literally the words of our rabbi. He says, for a city, do you understand what I've done for you? You call me teacher and you call me Lord. And he says, and that's, that's right, rightfully so. Those are big titles, right? Teacher and Lord. Teacher's a big one in that community. A rabbi is everything in that community, but it's a whole nother level when they start to call you Lord, Messiah, son of the living God, son of David, right? He says, you give me those big titles, my paraphrase, right? And rightly so, because that is what I am. He says, now that I, your Lord and your teacher, have washed your feet, you should also what? Wash one another's feet. I have set an example that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly, I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. And then verse 17 is the kicker here. And I, I covet the blessing of God over my life, over my family's life, over my career, over my finances, over my home. I covet unapologetically the blessing of God. I look for it. I study it. I wonder what it is and what it isn't. And we've gotten a lot of weird things in the church world about what blessing is and what it isn't. But here's what I know from the mouth of our rabbi is he says, now that you know these things, you will be blessed, not just as individuals, but as a church for a city. This is where the blessing of God comes in. Now that you've been taught what hospitality looks like, do these things. 
And you will be blessed if you do them. And I gotta tell you, as a pastor, I also covet the blessing for you. Every single one of you in here, whether you believe me or not, I desperately want you to walk in the blessing of Jesus Christ, whatever that blessing means. That's up to him, however it plays out. But there's nothing like the blessing of God on your life. I've been in it and I have been out of it. And there is absolutely no comparison. And I want that for you individually. And I want it for you as a church, desperately. And Jesus is telling us, this is what it looks like. We're gonna have bigger tables and we're gonna have lower walls and the the beautiful part we get to play in that is the spirit of hospitality. We get to be the table setters. We get to serve. We get to do our part. We get to give. We get to be what this series is about, generous in everything we do because here's what Jesus was teaching us. Hospitality is when, when words move to actions, right? When words move to actions and Band, if you're coming up or whatever, you can come up. I'm gonna, I'm gonna land this plane. I know we gotta get out of here. You guys have been amazing. Listen, I love this thing. I read it almost every day of the year. I, try, I wish it was every day of the year, but I'm human like you. But more days than not, I get up looking forward to and excited to read this thing. I believe this is the inspired, living, breathing word of God. All scripture is God breathed, Paul said, and useful for teaching and correcting and rebuking and training in righteousness so that the man or woman of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. I love this book. I try to eat from it and dine from it every day. Jesus called this the bread. His word is the bread of life. I love it, right? I love it, but here's the deal. If we as a church are great at holding this in our hands and never pick up one of these, this thing goes from a beauty to an indictment. You know, the, the, spirit, the spirit gives life and the letter kills, Paul said. If this, isn't, if this isn't read in the power and the actions of the Holy Spirit flowing through us, this thing isn't a beauty for you. This thing is an indictment for you. It'll actually kill you to be accountable to what we're taught in this thing and then not be walking it out in our spirit and in the way we treat each other and the way we help each other and the way we serve our communities. I don't know about you, but I don't want to be a person who is so great at wielding this thing in one hand and this hand's always empty when it was made for the towel. When you start to put these two things together, something powerful and something beautiful starts to transpire for a city. I'm telling you, this right here, the towel, when I'm talking about the towel, commit if you're gonna clap. If not, don't worry about it. No, I'm just kidding, I'm kidding, I'm kidding, kidding, kidding. I, I would put it this way for lack of a be- better analogy. This, this towel, when we serve, Jesus said the greatest among you will be a servant, right? When we serve, this is the metabolic system to this, if this was the body. This is the full body. This towel right here that Jesus got on his hands and knees and used is the metabolic system. Imagine someone trying to be a pro bodybuilder eating like 200 grams of protein a day and never lifting. That's what happens when we're hearers of the word and not doers, as James said. Don't, Don't merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. He says, do what it says. And listen to me, anything Jesus models for us and asks us to do is an absolute divine privilege when you start to do it for right reasons and good motives and you do it from a posture of love, that's when true authority in your life starts to really come out. That's when the blessing of God starts to come out, and I want that for every single one of you guys. So here at Forest City, we're gonna be people, not just of the truth. Truth will set you free, but the towel sets the table. 
You want people set free? Set the table first. You want people set free? Set the table first. You want people in this community, your cousins, your daughters, your, 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 your par, pro, prodigal, excuse me, prodigal son. I can't even talk anymore. Sorry, it's the donut. My sugar's tanking now. It's a, you, know, you, know, you know what I'm saying, though? This, this, is, this is what we want. We want to be people of the truth, but also people of the towel. And this is a beautiful, divinely incredible weapon to wield for the sake of a lost and a dying world. So I'm gonna do this. I'm gonna end with a real simple prayer today. We're not ending with a song. Trevor's gonna come up because we got some actions to take. And he's gonna direct you as to what some of those can look like. We're, we're talking about being a church that's hospitable and so we're having a, a serving day today. There's gonna be a bunch of people. I, I won't steal your thunder here, Trevor, but they're gonna be out there and they oversee all the serving. And we can't set tables week in and week out without your guys' help. And I just hope that the Holy Spirit through this time is challenging some of you all. Do you guys pray care if I pray a prayer that uh, is not my own. I pray it every morning. It's one of my many prayers that I pray in my little spiritual disciplines, and it's actually a prayer from centuries and centuries ago by uh, an incredible human being named St. Francis of Assisi. But this is the heart of Christ, and this is the heart of the church. He says this, O Lord, make me an instrument of your peace. Where there's hatred, let me sow love. Where there's injury, let me sow pardon. Where there's doubt, let me sow faith. Where there's despair, let me sow hope. Where there's darkness, let me sow light. Where there's sadness, let me sow joy. And then he says this, O divine master, grant that I may not so much seek to be consoled as to be the one consoling. He says, grant that I may not so much seek to understand or be understood but that I may be the one who understands. He says, grant that I may not be the one to be loved, but the one who loves. And here's why. He says, for it is in the giving we receive. It is in the pardoning where we are actually pardoned. And it's in the dying where we are actually born to life. For a city, God has incredible things in store in the name of Jesus for this place. I believe it with all my heart, but it starts with two things, the truth and the towel. God bless you guys. Hey, let's just give uh, one moment just to thank Chad for being here. Um, you know, yeah, as, as Chad was uh, speaking, I think if you're in this room and you've been around Forest City for a while and kind of just tasting to see what's taking place, there's these things I was, I was typing in my phone because I think for the last 18 months, maybe we've been um, walking this new journey with our new lead pastor, with uh, Eric, and changing the name in May from years and years of Heartland to Four City Church, and there's language that we're continually trying to figure out what is happening, what's stirring, and this idea of, uh, that Parks kind of put together, this idea of longer tables and shorter walls, this, this new thought of being people who carry the towel, being people that set the table and putting leaves in the table. So then it gets longer and longer and longer. And I think language is so important for us to frame what is happening at Four City Church, what's happening in this space when we gather. A lot of what Chad was saying today, I felt like, man, that is the language that's that we are in need of when it comes to this church. And I hope you really leaned in. I hope that you took notes. I hope there's something that was even stirring and taking place in your own heart and your own mind where it's like, man, I, I, I want to be a part of a place 
that doesn't point fingers, but instead is so busy setting long tables that I don't even have time to do that. I don't have time to engage in the unnecessary conversations and dialogues of who are they and why is she here and why are they sitting there and who are, who are they to come into these spaces and these places. But man, I'm so concerned and busy as Jesus was with washing feet and setting tables that I don't even have time for that stuff. And that's why I love this weekend is that we had this, uh, uh, this uh, opportunity to be a part of volunteering at Four City Church. And even if you just want to know what volunteering looks like, you can, you can meet all of our friends out there and those directors of those, of those different ministries. Ask questions if you want to. We're going to gather in between the services. Fill the form out. We're going to connect with you in the next week or so to see what it looks like for you to get involved here. Now, I love this idea of Scripture, the word, the message, and then the towel in the other hand. I, I like to put it this way, where we turn our words into works. This message has changed a lot of our lives, and now there's this opportunity to say, well, I want to be a part of it. I want to serve and give and set tables for other people. Amen? I want you guys to stay on your feet. I'll pray over you, and then we can head out to the mall and uh, sign up, be a part. If not, um, go in peace. Let me pray for you quick. God, thank you for this day. Thank you for this moment. Thank you that we get to gather in a space like this where tables have been set all over this building and all over the city. And I thank you, God, for the words that, uh, that Chad even spoke today, but the scene that was set in the, at this table where Jesus, you were at, that with all authority, you knelt down and you washed feet. God, may that change our lives and change our minds and change the works that we do in this world. We love you. We thank you. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. We love you so much, Four City Church. Go out there in the mall. You'll see everybody, and uh, we'll see you again next Sunday. You've been listening to Chad Brugman with the message, A Masterclass in Hospitality, which is part one of the series, Chef's Table. Thanks for listening.